Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Bower and Rose Show. I'd say, come Monday, I'll be holding you tight. Come Monday, it's the middle of the night. Look, um, just say the name, Jimmy Buffett. Just say the name. You had a beer in your hand, barefoot on the beach. I am, <clears throat> I'm in mourning today, Gary, like I know millions of uh, parrot heads are. Jimmy Buffett, a pilot, a sailor, a poet, um, a pirate, a drunkard, and a marketing powerhouse. What I respected most about Jimmy Buffett and I, I don't know, probably went to 10 shows over the 40 years that I was a parrot head. Although he was a passionate. Wait, you're serious. I mean, you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, how many, how many, I, I, please, audience, do not misinterpret this in any way. How many Jews would you find in a typical <laughs> It's audience? so funny that you say that because I was thinking this morning, how many Jewish parrot heads really were there? But can I say one thing? This is what I, I. I I just, what I respected most about him was that he was a, <clears throat> a thoughtful, passionate liberal who never, ever brought his politics into his shows, into his songs, or into his businesses. He said his business was to make people happy. And all politics did in his shows was divide. His job, he said was to give the million-plus people like me who shelled out an embarrassing amount of money every year to jump up and down and act like idiots at his concerts, uh, who worked hard all week to give them a two-hour vacation. Even when he was dying of cancer this year, and it was a terrible cancer, apparently excruciatingly painful, he'd schedule his treatments around his shows so as, you know, not to disappoint his fans i mean i just i, I mean i i loved it i mean his the shady Margaritaville is yeah. in that summarizes his whole uh worldview his whole you know uh uh and the people i would say the people he sang to or that enjoyed those kinds of songs uh, well the, you're related the, to some of them i don't want to spill any beans but you're related to some of them I'm sure. Uh, so I, I would bet they're probably related. At the time he was at his peak, they were po- probably divided between Republicans and Democrats because there was a time when even though we had disagreements about the size of government, we didn't have disagreements about having a good drink with friends, singing a great <laughs> song, kicking your feet up. That used to be the default of life in America. Now, however, I, I'm sure he would have been considered a deplorable. Uh, it's he. 
the one, I mean, there's so much to talk about this guy. He was an original. Not only did he not fit into the typical country music, he tried that and failed, or country western, he created his own category. Margaritaville, uh, tropical rock, I guess they called it. My favorite story about him, unlike any of these other celebrities who blow their money, you know, the man died with a a $1 billion business empire. He opened oh, his... Yeah, I know he's yeah, yeah. in restaurants, right? Oh, well, he opened... His, that was, I was just going to get to that. He opened his first Margaritaville restaurant um, uh, because he wanted a fail-safe in case his music career foundered. He still wanted a place that would allow him to play. So he figured that if he owned the joint, they could never turn him down if he wanted to play a concert there. Now there are Margaritaville restaurants all over the country, Margaritaville resorts. They're opening one uh, right near me here in, in uh, South Florida. Uh, he's got a cruise line, endless merchandise. I just look here is to an eternity of cheeseburgers in paradise, Captain Buffett. I have never seen you this excited and this forlorn at the same time. Folks, this is an amazing moment. As you know, if you tune into this show regularly, we do not feed you pap. <laughs> we talk about serious issues. Uh, and I don't, I, if there was improvement over the weekend in the condition of America, I missed it. But Tom felt today it was very important. It would be like Lincoln meeting with his cabinet to uh, discuss the question facing the country, can one man own another man? And thank God we decided, as Lincoln pointed out, that no man was born with a saddle on his back and other men born with spurs to ride them. But it would be like having a cabinet meeting about this question, because I feel this show is a cabinet meeting every time we get together. And Lincoln saying, uh, okay, that's enough for now. I I scheduled listening to Margaritaville, and I don't want to miss that. <laughs> Look, uh, Buffett, was, I mean, even you, the, I, again, and I want to repeat this, he was a, you know, committed Democrat, but he never, I mean, he had such respect for his his fans, his audience, he never took himself seriously enough to say, my politics are not why people are coming to my shows. I'm giving them a two-hour vacation after a hard week at work, and that's what they want, and that's what I'm going to give them. And, and that is so rare com- today. I mean, that doesn't exist. That That's what comedy used to be. That's what uh, – and now, of course, as the left infringes on more and more of private life, comedy shrinks because there's less and less it can joke about. And he, the other thing, and I, I was watching a retrospective. Don't worry, we'll get off Jimmy Buffett here in a moment. He would be embarrassed if, if on a political show we spent six minutes talking about him. But I was watching a retrospective uh, 60 Minutes profile of him like from several years ago. And that was the question about his politics. And he says, he says, I know a lot of talented people. I'm not that talented. So I don't have a lot of talent to waste. I've got to focus it directly on pleasing my fans. So I give them what they want. And that's what they want. That's They don't want politics. They don't want morality. They don't want philosophical discussions. They want two hours on a beach with a drink in their hand and the sand between their toes. So, Tom, let's request of our producer, and 
uh, that, and, and if this is something the producer can't do, he can just edit this request out of the show <laughs> so that he's not embarrassed by it. But I would request to the producer that he lead in the show with the notes of Margaritaville, but only enough of the notes of Margaritaville that we don't have to pay anything to the estate. <laughs> that would be that would be the first, you know, four seconds, uh, I think. And the guy had a 50 year career. How many people My, have that other than Gary Bauer? Well, and, and Joe Biden. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Bringing America down. Right. I mean, speaking of speaking of Joe Biden, I'm sure later today we'll hear and it'll have to be reinterpreted by the White House press office. The communications director will hear that uh, it was Joe Biden that got Jimmy Buffett into music. It was Joe Biden that got Jimmy Buffett his first gig at a uh, at a dive in uh, New Orleans. And it was actually Joe Biden who wrote Margaritaville. That's well, uh, Biden remembers very clearly uh, that he he met uh, Buffett on the Amtrak and he and Biden sat down with the uh, uh, the 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 conductor guy that uh, told Biden that he had traveled more uh, years on the train than anybody else in the history <laughs> of, uh, of Amtrak. And he did that while dead. He told Biden that while the conductor was dead. And and uh, Margaritaville was was actually inspired by that conductor. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah, but you're, what was you're right. what was his line last week that he doubled down on and repeated that he was the one who convinced was it Strom Thurmond to vote? No, no, he tried to convince yeah. Strom Thurmond to vote for the Voting Rights Act, and Joe, of course, was seven years old at the time or eight years old at the time. Or something. Yeah, I, I think he said I I did convince Strom Thurmond to vote for the vote, but he never did. Strom Thurmond yeah. voted against the voters, so not only did he lie, he was wrong about the impact of his lie. The the Post had a um, story over the weekend. It wasn't by the the uh, Pinocchio. How many Pinocchios you get? It was it was actually a news story that said Biden has um, given a narrative of his life that often strays from reality. Or right. Often. Like Can you imagine what that, that, and the Washington Post, remember, had they had a running tally of Trump lies that was like thirteen thousand two hundred and sixty four when he said, um, you know, I had cheeseburger and fries uh, last night, and it would be a lie if he didn't finish the fries. I mean, that's how they would the categorize Trump's lives. The entire fact-checking industry shut down as soon as Trump uh, uh, wrongly was removed from the presidency. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. Look, there's a lot going on other than the passing of the great uh, the great Jimmy Buffett. I noticed some economic numbers that were released uh, this morning that should hearten some people because in the midst of these bad job numbers and stalled economic growth, there's one very impressive growth area in our economy, Gary, and it's, it's, uh, it's a new growth area that I'd never heard of. It, uh, retailers now call it and include it in their SEC filings as organized retail theft. Organized retail theft, that's a new cost item on uh, publicly listed retailers. It's so large now, Gary, it's an actual expense line. And, and, and of course, the media is not going to cover this. They're never going to report on this, but 
it seems to me there might be a connection between a wide open southern border and a booming business for Mexican cartels that appear to be controlling this ORC, organized retail theft or organized retail crime, whatever they call it. Although, again, you'd never know it. And these reports come in from Target, which doesn't break my heart, but uh, Dollar Tree, Foot Locker, Dick's, Nordstrom's, uh, Walmart. Um, uh, This is hurting their bottom line. I saw something in Investors Business Daily, or it's not called that anymore. I forget what it's called. The National Retail Federation said that retailers nationally, Gary, last year lost a hundred billion dollars to theft. And that money obviously eventually comes out of your pocket, my pocket, and our listeners' pockets. Well, this, this is another Biden, Democrat Party, progressive, neo-Marxist uh, cause of inflation. Their, their out-of-control spending causes inflation. Their weak anti-crime policies cause inflation. Because when retailers are suffering that degree of loss, they have to make up for it by raising everybody else. Of course. Uh, California is considering a bill right now, Tom. They, they, I think they, well, there's a couple of pieces of legislation. One will require uh, all businesses of whatever size to hire security guards. But it also will fine any business $17,000 for every instance when an employee of the retail establishment tries to interfere with a robbery of the retail establishment. I, I mean, this we're in Never Never Land. The criminals, thugs, barbarians are feeding on the carcass of a dying America in many ways. And the left is making it harder and harder to fight back against the barbarians. I mean, it's it's the migrant invasion, and I'm not claiming that these thefts are uh, committed exclusively by migrants. I don't think we have numbers, and the reason we don't have numbers is because they don't want um, uh, they don't want to compile the numbers. This is a statistic they don't want. But this it, last week, the press secretary, you know, we've done more to. Uh, protect the border, uh, just absolute gaslighting. This migrant invasion isn't being contained by the White House. It's being coordinated by the White House, facilitated by the White House, encouraged by the White House. This sock puppet uh, spokesperson keeps saying the border crisis is out of the White House's control, when in fact the White House, Gary, has done, along with the administration, the executive branch that it controls, Every single thing in its power to keep the border open, he's fought, the DOJ has fought, DHS has fought, every state effort to secure the border. They're suing Arizona to dismantle a wall of uh, shipping containers that the state put up in desperation on state-owned land to keep out some of these alien invaders. The DOJ is suing Texas to get rid of these floating barriers that Governor Abbott has uh, deployed uh, in the middle, on the U.S. side, by the way, in the middle of the Rio Grande. The theme here, Gary, hasn't been just to open the border and encourage the mass migration. It's been to suppress any effort by a state, a locality, a rancher, anybody else to secure the border 
on their own property. And now if that's not enough, this is a story that I I had uh, written down last week that we never got to. They're actually selling off parts of the border wall that we bought under the Trump administration as scrap so they can never be used again. Right, right. Well, Tom, maybe that fits in with this other story that broke over the weekend. It actually broke a couple of weeks ago, but now um, a couple of weeks ago, the story made it sound like this was a rare thing. Now we're being told this is a very common thing. Here's the story. Chinese nationals posing at tour- as tourists have accessed military bases and other sensitive sites in the United States as many as a hundred times in recent years, according to U.S. officials who described the incidents as potential espionage. <laughs> you think, Tom? Uh, now, would there be any linkage between this and the phenomena that we've been told buried in stories in the last couple of years of suddenly Chinese nationals crossing our unsecured southern border. I I suspect the two are related to each other. Tom, the things that are happening, and and the most depressing point of it is that uh, Joe Biden is tied with Donald Trump. And before the never Trumpers say, see, this is why we can't nominate Donald Trump. He's not. He's tied with Donald Trump. And he is ahead comfortably of any other Republican possible nominee. So in other words, Donald Trump, with his baggage, is the only one close to defeating Joe Biden. But now think about that. No, I mean, but we're protecting democracy. We're defending democracy by imprisoning the leading a small D Democrat candidate, meaning in a free system, opposition candidate in a free system for uh, a thousand years on 91 federal and state indictments. There's all kinds of news the last couple of days about the collapse of China. China's collapsing. China's falling apart. Uh, they got a long way to go to catch up with us. <laughs> I think right. in terms of in terms of falling apart, there has been this meme going around for oh, I don't know, 25, 30 years that our policy vis-a-vis a rising China would inevitably lead them to become like us. You and I have talked about it. You've done more than talk. You ran for president back in 1824 on on this very issue containing China long before it was a popular or even on anybody's radar. But I think, and we've touched upon this before, Gary, if you step back and take a look, I think if there's a trend moving in one or the other direction, it's not China becoming more like us. I think everybody buys into that. It's that we are becoming more like China, right? China has state-controlled capitalism. We're lurching headlong into our own version of state-directed capitalism. China's media is controlled by a very aggressive, very well-coordinated state propaganda machine 
that's always been in China. They don't make any bones about it. They don't apologize for it. Um, but I think that's becoming a lot more evident today in America. While our media isn't owned by the government, they don't need to be owned by the government because they're an arm of the government. Our legacy media carries the government's water and is committed, in fact, even even drives, in my opinion, and I think you would agree here, the implementation of, of uh, so many of our government policies. Uh, China's this dystopian state controlled by, you know, their big companies, their big tech, um, while in America, big tech is implementing our own version of a dystopian model, um, censoring, uh, canceling, uh, propagandizing, brainwashing. In China, they don't have free speech. They don't have freedom of dissent. They punish political... Freedom of religion has been deeply compromised by some churches being allowed to stay open as long as they're like toadies following the gospel of Xi rather than the gospel of Christ. If you don't do that, then you're baptizing your children in the middle of the night in a lake somewhere because the the, the government won't allow you to stay. Open. That's right. There 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 is one big difference. One big difference between China today and Joe Biden's America. In China, the Chinese people are taught to love their country. They're encouraged to revere their history, to learn their history. They're given a sense of uh, patriotic pride, a 4,000-year civilization. Americans are being conditioned, taught, brainwashed, programmed to do exactly the opposite. And ironically, this is my final point, I promise, and most dangerously, this is the one area where Chinese interests and American interests, at least as defined by the establishment, merge Right. The interests of American elites and the Bidenites and the Chinese Communist Party merge because both power centers share the same objective, and that is to take down America. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom, and it, it might sound uh, uh, rough on some people's ears, but I, I don't believe it's an exaggeration at all. I, you know, every country in the world through virtually all of history, I mean, I— I'll, I'll wait for you to correct me because your your uh, knowledge uh, of history uh, is is broad and almost always accurate. Uh, but I, I'm not aware of any major power that ever set out intel- intentionally uh, to get its own children to uh, be ashamed of and despise its own history. In fact, every, every country from from you know the great majority of countries really quite frankly throughout history haven't had all that to be much to be proud of nonetheless they found ways to teach their children to love their country because a country can't survive i i can think I, of one exception and it totally proves your point what is it pre-revolutionary france and ah. the french revolution which ultimately com- but it makes your point because it was the dawn of totalitarianism, the first totalitarian regime, the first regime built upon terror was uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, 
French directory, which subsequently was, was subsumed by Napoleon. But the French Revolution was built upon a total rejection of the past, a hatred of the church, and France was ruined. Yeah. Ruined. I mean, the comparison between their revolution and our revolution uh, and, and the ultimate outcome of those revolutions is very telling. And one of the differences between the two is the French Revolution was godless. In fact, it was a revolution against God. Exactly in right. And a revolution to destroy the church and the role yep. of uh, the church education in, in uh, the in, in France was never again a, a, a power to be reckoned with. Anyway, yeah. I interrupted well, you, but go ahead. Well, the, the other point I was going to make, the Wall Street Journal had a great uh, uh, article over the weekend, a sort of interview, but presented in the form of an article with just some uh, quotes scattered through it. But they interviewed the two founders of Mothers for Freedom, uh, this group that's fighting for parental rights. And uh, they, they officially started, I believe, on January 1, uh 2021 or 2022 in my hometown of Carmel, Indiana. Right. And they've already got uh, chapters in 46 states and so forth. But they were asked, how did you get into this? And the one mother told this story, Tom, it's worth retelling. So the first thing she did was run for school board, but she ran for school board because nine years ago, her son came home from school and said, Wow, mom, I got an A plus 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 on my project and the teacher singled me out in the class for my incredible work. And she goes, wow, John or whatever is that? I'm so proud of you. So, you know, the day goes on and she's sitting here thinking, you know, he usually doesn't do that well. Uh, and I don't remember seeing the project. So she goes to his room and, you know, as a mother can, uh, she wants to see this masterpiece. And the masterpiece was a wanted poster for Chris, for Christopher Columbus, wanted for crimes against humanity. And she said, I spent the next month getting every history book I could about Christopher Columbus because I wanted to find out what had changed in school between when I learned about Christopher Columbus, which was not that many years ago, and what my son was being taught now. And she realized education in America was off the rails. Because, of course, if the founders are evil men that can't be looked up to, the guy that found America can't be looked up to. He's got to be labeled evil, even though the place he found and that the founders then built a country on has brought more liberty and more freedom and more opportunity for more people here and around the world, including people of color, than any competitor in the history of mankind. I mean, that's, you know, we were uh, talking about China, about Iran, about <clears throat> the rogue regimes that threaten us and the peace, and the peace of the world and how uh, those risks have dramatically escalated in the last three years. I asked this question the other day, and it was rhetorical, and I've been thinking about it. I don't... I'm sure there's an explanation. You probably have it. You're a lot smarter than I am. Uh, about Trump hate. Trump... in. It would make more sense to me if Trump hate 
was greater in 2016 than it is today because Trump was president for four years. It's not a hypothetical. We don't really have to wonder. We know there are going to be tweets and we know there's going to be a lot of silliness. But what did he do, Gary, that was so terrifying, so threatening that now 20% of the country thinks it would be justified to murder him, to assassinate him? Why the establishment, why the the, the powers that be, the DOJ, the FBI, these rogue prosecutors have coalesced, combined, uh, collaborated to imprison him for life so that he dies in prison. He was president for four full years. There were no wars. There was no inflation. There wasn't a border crisis. We had rapid ep- economic growth. We had higher, un- higher employment numbers for blacks and Latinos uh, than ever before. And I think that's directly related to the fact that we closed our border because an open border just drives down. I know this. I know this. Let me answer. Let me answer. (laughs) It's MAGA. It's the whole, it's the thing. But why now? But why now more than then? Well, even then, um, they, they, that slogan drove them insane. I, I mean, it's, it's why they tried to prevent his inauguration. We, we don't understand. We have not spent enough time on this. The purpose of the Steele dossier, we now know after he had been elected, the purpose of it getting more traction was they thought there was still a way to prevent him from taking the oath of office. This was an actual attempt at a coup. Right. And they openly, our friend Bill Crystal, organized, raised a lot of money, organized a campaign together with Mitt Romney to get selected. Talk about fake electors to get the selected electors from the various states in 2016 to vote against Donald Trump when the Electoral College met on December the 6th or whatever the date specified in the Constitution is. I think that's when it is. And then the votes of the electors are certified by by Congress on the 6th of January. That's what the Constitution says. So Romney, I mean, these they engaged in that. The only thing that I can think of from a policy perspective, which would make sense for the left, are the courts, right? They're, cons- mm-hmm. they're liberals. We're conservatives. We put active conservatives on the bench. So I can see why they'd be upset about that. But no crime, peace in the Middle East, a stronger NATO, no war, energy independence, low gas prices, well, well I, keep, I keep going back. I remember as if it were yesterday, Tom, it was so shocking to me that when he made that his theme, I was shocked at how many liberals ran to microphones and didn't say his policies won't make America great again. Our policies will make America great again. No, they ran to the microphone and said America was never great. America was never great. That's what not a few said. It was a constant theme. And they went right into America was built on racism. America has been flawed from the very beginning. So many Republicans, Tom, loved patriotic trappings, but they weren't willing to take the left on directly on the whole question of American history. 
You know, there were a lot of Republican leaders that went around going, well, we have a lot to apologize for, but we're a work in progress. We're getting better every day. And and uh, yes, there's many, many things that are blemishes rather than saying compared to what? what you know, was there mistakes? Yeah, every country. It's a fallen world for crying out loud. Compared to the founding of any other nation, this nation from the very beginning was built on a revolutionary idea that changed the world, that liberty doesn't come from government, it comes from God, it comes from our creator, and we stand proudly with the American founding. Look, when Bill Bennett made those arguments, he got crap. From not only the Democrats, he got it from Republicans. We don't indoctrinate our children. When I attacked American textbooks that were treating the Cold War as if the textbook writers were neutrals observing the Cold War, when I went up to the United States Senate to testify, I was attacked by Republican senators with as much vehemence as I was attacked by Democrat senators. Well, that... Brings me to, are you looking at my notes? No, I can't even see them. I'm trying to look over your shoulder, but <laughs> I can't get behind you. No matter what I do, your face is staring back at me, not your back. Because that was, that was the very next item I was going to bring up unprompted. Why are there not 218 Republican members of the House who today are prepared to launch an impeachment inquiry, not even impeachment yet, an impeachment <clears throat> inquiry for the very first time in 250 years. There's a president who perfectly fits the definition of impeachment Your of duty. Well, no, I'm th- real, uh, not imagined real high crimes and misdemeanor bribery. Evidence already shows he changed U.S. foreign policy for payments from foreign interests in Ukraine, China, Russia, Romania. God only knows who else. That's treason, right? And then forget about dereliction of duty. <clears throat> this is this is the most obvious uh, and most serious case of presidential corruption that we've uh, yet been able to expose. There might have been cases in the past that we don't know about. What makes this more serious is that the fe- back in the days of Teapot Dome, the Warren Harding scandals, the federal, the federal government was a pimple on an at- uh, 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 rear end. Mm. It was small. So while none of us liked uh, presidential corruption. By the way, Warren Harding was slandered by history. I don't want to get into that, but <clears throat> his famous line was, it's my enemies I can handle. It's my G damn friends that I can't handle. But <clears throat> today, <clears throat> pardon me, today when the federal government is 30% of our economy and we're the most powerful country in the world and we have a president who is an absolute undeniable, unfalsifiable grifter. What are Republicans waiting for? Uh, they're, they're waiting for the weakest of their members uh, to grow a pair. The problem is, Tom, that, that we've got, you know, we, we sadly, and, are, and we ought to be doing an internal look at our tactics, we sadly lost some House seats that we should have won, that were seats that had a history of being Republican seats. The only reason we have a majority 
is we won five, I think, seats in New York State. Upstate New York. In yeah. districts that are not Republican seats. And I think there were a couple uh, in California like that. And those people do not want to vote for impeachment, an impeachment inquiry. Why? And until they do, because they think it will cost them their reelection in their districts. You know, Mitch McConnell, before his latest freeze moment, said uh, he's against impeachment. Impeachment's not good for the country. Um, right. Well, you know what? Having a grifter president is not good for the country either. And that's why we have an impeachment process. Yes. Tom, it goes back, right? We've seen it over and over and over again. The Democrats have weaponized impeachment. They use it against every president. They had more success against Donald Trump. But they tried to, you know, there were Democrats pushing impeachment of Reagan, impeachment, obviously, of Nixon, impeachment of both Bushes. This is what they do. And they do it with a lot of of media cheering them on. And it makes a certain percentage of the public that doesn't pay a lot of attention say to themselves, wow, this guy must be really bad if there's talk of impeaching him. So then we get in and we don't want to do the same thing because, as McConnell says, it's bad for the country, which guarantees that if we're fortunate enough to ever elect another Republican president, don't try to impeach him or her again. And then we wonder that why there, you know, why there are Gestapo like roundups of any white person that was in within 400 miles of the Capitol on January 6th. Could that message have been any clearer? You can loot, you can burn, you can terrorize if it serves Democrat interests. You can uh, create. Right. Go ahead. Right now, right now in Washington, D.C., um, a half dozen pro-life liberals pro-life progressives that engaged in a sit-in. You remember sit-ins. It was what moved the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s. Well, no, I don't remember them. I remember reading about them, but you might remember them. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Gary's a little older than I am. Uh, Yes. Not much. And getting older every Tuesday (laughs) and Thursday. (laughs) uh, They... They, they've charged these people uh, for sitting in outside of an abortion clinic. They've been found guilty. The judge presiding over the case said a sit-in is a form of violence. They are in jail now awaiting sentence, and the sentence could be a $100,000 fine and 11 years in prison. And, Tom, I predict they will get something very close to that. Meanwhile, seven people were shot over the weekend, five of them killed, Nobody's been arrested for those shootings. We are on a record-breaking uh, uh, pace for murders in Washington, D.C. Uh, that Nobody's being arrested because nobody will talk about who's doing it. They, they can, the police department doesn't know what to do. They are too, the whole judicial system of, of Washington, D.C. gets up every morning with one thought in mind. Imprison Donald Trump. Imprison his supporters, imprison pro-lifers, imprison Christians, imprison uh, conservatives any way you can. America. Now, there's cities all over America, not a lot of them, but there's cities in which Republicans have majorities. We're not going after Democrats like that. What? Where are the Republican states that are going after Biden the way Democrat cities are going after Trump? I mean, this was the question we asked. Last week, or I asked him, is there, can you uncross the Rubicon? Is there a way to go back? And I 
don't know that there is. To those who say that, you know, this opens a Pandora's box and the pendulum is going to swing back, I, I agree with you. I think that's just more wistful, wishful, conservative thinking. We aren't like them. We don't do what they do. We don't burn. We don't loot. We don't pillage. We don't terrorize. Because, A, our morality is, is, is different. We are limited by our religious principles. The left, overwhelmingly secular, has no religious principles. So they can accuse us correctly from time to time of being hypocrites because the definition of a hypocrite is somebody who violates his own standards, and we have standards, they don't. So they can never be accused of hypocrisy because there aren't any values or standards other than the aggregation, the capture of power and or control that is what what animates them. And our leadership won't even stand up now. Mitch McConnell, of course, he's he needs to resign as as minority leader, that's for sure. Uh, as far as his role in the Senate, that's up to the people of Kentucky. But he can't, well, he, he couldn't lead the Republican Party successfully in the Senate when he was healthy. Now he's not. Nobody wishes ill uh, on anyone. Uh, he's clearly got very serious health issues. Uh, and I think, and I don't know whether you'll agree with me or not, he needs to he needs to step down as a minority leader so we can get a strong, aggressive, vibrant, unapologetic conservative leader of the Senate like John Thune. Yeah, I, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I can't imagine a, a strong, energetic conservative uh, replacing McConnell. Uh, and if they did, uh, I believe there are at least 15 or 20 Republican senators who would constantly make it impossible for that new leader uh, to do his job. That is the state of the modern Republican Party. And by the way, Tom, as we get ready to wind up here, um, this is something that's that's not understood about, quote, uh, independent voters. The media and Fox News is always promoting the idea that independent voters are moderates and that we can't win unless we present a moderate program. But in fact, independent voters are made up of a group that doesn't think the Democrats are liberal enough, believe it or not, and an equally large group that don't think Republicans are conservative enough. So the actual independent voter in America that doesn't know what to do might be 8 percent, 8 to 10 percent of the public. For a lot of those independents, unless we put up a right-wing Republican, they won't vote Republican. They stay home. So this is one of the reasons that candidates like a Ronald Reagan, a candidate like Donald Trump, always do better than the establishment thinks they're going to do. But we're going to have to do much better than better because this election rigging, this election interference, this election stealing um, – uh, now matches anything in the third world when you have the state attempting to imprison the leading contender uh, on the opposition side for life. You're listening to the we, you know, we haven't even promoted anything today. You're listening to the Bower and Rose Show, the Bower and Rose Podcast on Sirius XM, The Patriot Channel 125. We're hosted by our good friends at JustTheNews.com. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Recommend us to friends. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Have a great couple days. We'll talk to you on, on later in the week. 
Have a great week.